the, the billing, perhaps, um, that, that he gives me as the word expert is perhaps not true. Um, I, know, I know some things. Uh, I've read some things in the past week to share with you this evening. Um, but I'd like to talk with you, really, about it. Because um, there's lots of things I do not know, um, as you'll discover as I go through. Um, not embarrassingly not know, I just don't know the answers. And if, I, if you can help me figure them out, it would be great. So a conversation would be good. Um, the kind of things I wanted to speak to you about um, was, first of all, just to think about this truism which is developing called busyness. I'm not convinced. Um, Jess seems convinced, and you might be convinced. I'm not convinced it's as homogeneous as he suggests it is. Um, so I'd like to look at the concept of business with you just for a moment and ask you to, what is it? Um, where is it? Um, how do you know you've got it? And it, how would you measure busyness? And if, you have, if I asked you to tell me how busy you were and you started to compare it, how would you know who was more busy than the other? Maybe you wouldn't care, but um, as a scholar and someone who studies it, then it's important to understand these kind of things. Uh, and has this been changing? I'd be interested in thinking through. Jesus is right in saying we all get 168, that is, hours in our week. After that, you're in next week. Spend your 168 as you like, um, but then you are in next week. You can only spend them once. Therefore, running out of time is a kind of interesting concept in itself. Uh, and I just have a think with you about what people pack into that 168, the kind of things that people are said to be putting in. Um, and if we get chance, then perhaps to focus on a particular case um, and how their world may have changed and how they may be handling it. Um, in passing, if we get time to, um, I'd like to share my thoughts on something called the nobility of work, um, which again is something I've, I've not found a lot of. Uh, and increasing, as, the as, the, as the 20th century progressed, um, increasingly less of that concept of the nobility of work. Um, so, um, to the truism. Um, Jess said, can, you know, can we talk about busyness? And as I was thinking about it, and as I, first of all, thought like Jess, everybody's busy. Yeah. Um, I wondered about whether they are. And so I went off to do some research like Jez did. Um, and some of it I found the same. And some of it I found was different. Um, so I found myself musing over questions. And again, you might like to think about them is, if we are busy now, when exactly were people less busy? When was that? Um, and did they know they were less busy? Probably not, because they were as busy as they were at the time. We just think we're now more busy than they were. Um, and if people weren't busy in the past, why weren't they? What did they do differently to us? All of this came to me. Um, if business is beginning now, when did it begin? Maybe you have a thought about when this whole business idea, when this lady who came from afar suddenly got the notion that we all said we were all busy. Um, quotes, quotes abound. Jess had one. Mine's not so much a quote, but in the 1930s, John Maynard Keynes, a great economist, projected that our grandchildren, that is his grandchildren, um, would work about three hours a day. And they do that because they chose to, because they might not be sufficiently entertained if they weren't. Um, that's clearly not panned out. An interesting question would be, why not? Keynes was smart, things were developing. Uh, the 19th century had ripped through, modern technologies were roaring ahead, labor rates were coming down. Um, 
but I don't think anybody around here is working three hours a day by choice, um, or some might be, um, but not many. When I also thought about the word busyness, for me it broke into three groups, um, three categories. I thought about people who were busy, they were being busy, and I kind of labeled that in my academic terms, behavioral busyness. People actually were busy. But it seems to me there are people who are around who feel busy. Um, sort of a perceptual busyness. And there's people who say they're busy. Uh, and I guess I thought about this concept, and I think, in this one, I think people who are, say they're busy, but aren't really. At least they don't even feel busy, but not unless they say they're busy. So, Jez, as, he, as he, we needed him to do, set a broad scene uh, and use the words, we all. It's a growing trend. And I just wanted to disaggregate that in several ways. And one was to just ask you to think about the notion of being busy, feeling busy, and just downright saying you're busy. And I, and I think um, we might get different explanations as to what the causes of those are and therefore what the solutions are. Um, because if somebody is not really busy and really doesn't feel busy, but feels that they've got to say they're busy, that seems to be an interesting thing worth exploring as to why that might be the case. And maybe, I know it's not, this is not just, Chris and I were just joking earlier about dead ball passes. This is not meant to be a dead ball pass, Chris, but I think you might have a greater insight into why people might want to say they're busy when actually they're not. So, but anyway, the, my first, one of my first points is if we disaggregate busyness into these three categories, we do get different types of analysis of, um, why it's occurring and what people will do with it. The other thing that an idea you might help me, I really have been trying to get to grips with this idea for some while. Um, I have a vision of three universes uh, and my colleagues that I know around here think, will understand, I'm big, I like physics, I like big physics. I also like nanotechnology too, but big physics. And so I, I use the word universes and here I, I have three universes and two of which I think are um, of long standing. One, I think, is new. The first universe is the physical universe. Um, it knows no bounds, it is huge, it is enormous, and we, we live within it. It is universal, and maybe there are even multiverses. The second is the cerebral universe, that which is inside our heads. Uh, and that, I think, is equally big, equally um, non-bounded, um, only by our own thoughts. The third one, which I think is, which we all live in now, is the virtual. Uh, I find that it is um, big. So I can have this image of a person sitting at the computer in the physical world, which is infinitely big, with their cerebral world and their imaginations and their emotions and their dreams all big, and now they look at the screen and that's equally big. It just goes on and on and on. And maybe it's the development, I think, as Jez was suggesting towards the end of his part, that it's the virtual world which has come in new. Um, and maybe adding some dimensions to all of this. Um, so busyness has those dimensions to it, um, and I, I really would appreciate your thoughts on, on all of those, and where it takes place would be interesting. But to try and get an understanding for me, if you would help me with being busy, um, being busy, if you really are busy, if you're not just fabricating it or not just saying it, then what are you doing? What, what enables you to say, I'm busy? 
Is it that you're doing lots of things? Um, is it that you're spending a large proportion of your time doing one thing, a large proportion of your 168 on one thing, um, or many things? For example, if you did one thing that took 12 hours, or 12 things that did one hour, would, would one be more or less busy than the other? Was the agrarian farmer who worked 15 hours a day in the field not busy? Is busyness, that sense, new? And, so, and I really would appreciate a conversation about that or your thoughts when, when we're done or questions to Chris about that. Um, because that's a dead ball pass. That was one. That, was, that definitely was one. Um, but in that sense, what is it? Uh, and I use this word, if you do things, and I don't know what a thing is really. How big does a thing have to be to get on your scale? What, when you think about, I am busy, I'm busy doing things, what? Making a cup of tea? Or going to the shops? Or writing a novel? How big are they? Um, and how many things do you have to do in a period to be busy? You can see I don't really know the answer to these, and I genuinely don't. But I, I thought if I asked you the questions, Chris just told me he was coming and said he was inviting his wisest people to come. Uh, and then when I walked in, he said they turned up. Um, so it would be good to know your thoughts on that. Um, so. Is the agrarian farmer of 100 plus years ago, were they busy or were they not busy? They were busy? Yeah. I think they were busy too. Um, so if I wonder, perhaps like you might do, is it really new? There's something new. But is it, is it doing, is, is, my, is my thought. Is it just the amount of things? So is the amount of time we spend doing things? Is it the amount of things we do? Or could it be something to do with the amount of time we spend not doing things? So maybe if we looked at the reciprocal, we might get some insights between us into how busyness has changed by looking at what um, we don't do, um, if there is any time when we don't do. The other is, as I said to you before, about feeling busy. Um, and I wondered to what extent there was any connection between being busy and feeling busy. It seems like a really silly thing to ask, doesn't it? I mean, well, if you are busy, um, you feel busy. But I'm not, I'm not so sure. I, I, I see people who I know are definitely busy, but they, they never say and they never feel like they're busy. They just deal with it. And there, must be, and there seems to be something else in that to me about the connectivity between being busy and feeling busy. And it's not so straightforward to me as if you, if you are busy, whatever that is, that you feel busy. Um, Come back to control. Saying busy, saying you're busy, it is the one I wasn't expecting, as I thought about it, to find one of the most intriguing. But as I've got it framed, and, and that might be, not be appropriate to you, but people who say they're busy when they're not, that really does seem to intrigue me why people would want to do that, why they would feel the need to do that. And I have a couple of thoughts before I get to the end. I might have mentioned, but I didn't. Um, just maybe didn't tell you that I'm a lecturer of old. Um, and the thing about lecturers of old is they stand us up and we speak for an hour and then we sit down. Um, now, I'm I will do my best to not be a lecturer of old, but I feel it coming. Do you not feel it coming? Do you not feel the kind of relentless pacing coming? <laughs> Somebody say, speed up, Paul, every now and again. We don't want to be here for an hour. <laughs> 
Somehow, I just felt, I just felt it returning. Um, so business has got three dimensions to it. I think they're each intriguing. Um, the connectivity between some of them is more intriguing than others, and the, the one about why we say so, I find perhaps even more intriguing. When we get to, to the question time, it'd be interesting to hear what you do in your 168 hours, because you all get them, we all get them. What do you do? Um, and some of the things that, that studies show that we do, if you're certainly working, um, then I, I've got two studies I, I've got here. One is from Australia and one is from the UK, Office of National Statistics in the UK. We commute five hours a week, on average, they say. We work 42 hours a week, they say. We watch telly 18 hours a week, they say. Social media, seven hours. Seems out of touch to me, but nonetheless, that's what they say. Doing domestic kind of life maintenance activities, somewhere around 17% um, of our week. Interesting, and, and the ladies will be being by no means surprised to find out that uh, the men do about 2.3 and the ladies do about 3.6, which means we can speak of an average of 2.9 and just gloss over the differences. Um, in terms of sleeping, the Australians, it said sleep 49 hours a week, we sleep 42 recommended averages are supposed to be somewhere between 49 and 63, I'm told. Um, but um, we don't do it and in the UK. And that too might be an answer to us about our busyness, is that we are shifting in the 168, in the categories. We can't have any more hours. We can invent more categories, like increasing social media, but we can also just time shift between traditional hours. We can sleep less. We can suffer the consequences of sleeping less, and knowingly suffer the consequences of sleeping less, just to do more stuff, whatever that stuff is. And apparently we socialize something like 20% of the time. In that grouping, work is, is a big part. And, and as just said, I've spent a lot of time thinking about work. Um, as academic people normally giggle now when they say, yeah, yeah, academics do think about work. When do they ever do any? Not often enough. you know. If you, if you can do, if you can't teach, that's what they always say. <laughs> Not in universities, though. Um, so just a few side thoughts, if I might, if I, I, if I can have the time. Um, and here's where I might get lost deep in the weeds, if you want to move me along. But it is this notion of work and the nobility of work. Um, and where I think that concept all goes wrong. And I, I have three things to speak about. Um, and overly swiftly, really. Apologies to the guys who, on the, who were at the pub. Um, I shared this in more detail. Um, a guy who I know and studied under was Professor Peter Anthony, and he wrote a book called The Ideology of Work, which I found fascinating and still do. And really, he asked, why do people work? Why do we? But he asked it historically, he asked, why did the Greeks and the Romans work? And answered, they did not. Citizens never worked. Slaves worked. Slaves are not human. They are subhuman akin to any other animal stock you might have. Humans did not work. Work was done. And a citizen may help themselves to do something, but they would never work. So, if you, if you buy that, if you buy Antony's thesis, 
we often would find ourselves inclined to say, work's natural. People have always worked. Well, that's not an uncontested thesis. Anthony suggests to us, no, there are other ideologies behind why people work. And rapidly, overly rapidly here, you move from that particular position, which says that really people didn't work, work was an anathema to them, they wanted work done, but they didn't do it. You move through a times of, of Christianity when such things as slavery become, to say the least, unpopular, perhaps more an anathema with equitable human behavior, and that was not acceptable. People worked, certainly at the time, as we move in more rapidly, in the time of a, a book um, written by Max Weber, um, talked about the impact of the Protestant work ethic on the rise of capitalism. And here sees, argues that in fact, people work in Protestantism for the glory of God. The argument is people would work harder and harder for the glory of God. No outward symbols of wealth, no outward signs of um, ostentatiousness, but a demure, just hard work. But then the switch happened rather quickly with Protestantism having set the seeds of the, our connectivity, our, ra our rationale for working was the glorification of God. Capitalism was ready. All you need to do, everybody, is stop working for the glorification of God and work for yourself. And there it was. People had moved from not working at all, moved because of, of, of the rise of various religions, moved into capitalism. 20th century capitalism argued to be based on, on without it, without certainly Protestantism and its power of the Protestant work ethic. And capitalism may have struggled to get off the ground, but with it being there, and then we work not for the glorification of God anymore, we work for the glorification of ourselves, for our own development, for individualism. The rise of the individual, it suggested, begins there. And, and hence our relationship to work, to this major core of what spend, we spend our time doing, has changed. And so have theories about why we work, and I, I'll speed, speed quickly, but there are at least three areas about the nature of work that people do. And here's why I have an issue about um, the, the nobility of it and why um, people don't always um, like to spend more time doing it. One theory invented by Taylor, you may have heard of, heard of Frederick Taylor. If you haven't, you've certainly bought a Ford car and you bought it from uh, Henry Ford, and Henry Ford used all the principles of Taylor, which was basically, you don't need to know anything to do this. There's a separation between knowing something and doing something. Simply, simply to make this table, if I asked Jez to make this table, the entire table, he'd have to know how to, to cut metal, bend metal, weld metal, make, make a nice top, sand a nice top, fit them all together. It would be a craft-oriented position where he would get some fulfillment from it. Taylorism and Fordism says, we don't need that. Jez, you, you cut the legs, you bend the legs, you weld them, you paint them, you screw them, you make the tops and you put them in boxes. Quicker, faster, which leaves Jez, changes him from making tables to bending metal. This gentleman here to simply painting all day. You're painting the assembly line. And what it did was, you don't need to know anything anymore. Just do it. 
And oh, by the way, the cars come past every two minutes. And as we know now, we've been replaced just by robots. We don't need him anymore at all because he messes about. Which is what people did. Work was so ennobled that in fact the great thing to do was not follow the maintenance schedule on the, on, on the, uh, that the maintenance man gave you. Don't oil it, because when you didn't oil it, it broke. And when it broke, you could sit down. You didn't have to do it. Therefore, replacing Jez with a, with a robot that didn't need particularly oiling, um, not with beer anyway, um, was better. And they did that. Another theory is that actually people don't like being strangled out on assembly lines. They don't like just not knowing anything. People like to work in groups, to work in teams, to, to get together, to be together. And industry often then went off to design itself into groups and into teams to be, to be that way. The major citation of that is the work of Elton Mayo many, many years ago. We talked that, that Jez's point about people are social. They come together to be social. The problem with those first two is, they again say, people are like this. And then they include everybody in the pot. As if we all want to maximize ourselves economically. We all want to be social. And the truth is, that's not the case. Different people want different things at different times. Apologies for the stereotypical of it, but a young married couple where the man is working and they've got three kids, he needs the money. They've got a mortgage. He will do almost any insufferable work for the highest possible, possible wage. As you move through your career, you change. You'll do different things at different times. And this was discovered by a group of authors who, they went to the absolutely stereotypical place, a car plant, expecting to find tedium, unhappiness, sadness, and they found jocularity, hilarity, great fun. And they couldn't understand it. And they said, this is, not, this is not right. Everything we've read and everything we've studied said, you should be unhappy, you should be really sad, you should want to get out of here. And they said, why? Well, because you're not doing what all the theory says. And they said, look, when we were given this job, we were told it was completely boring, mind-numbingly tedious, and we got high pay. And it's completely boring, mind-numbingly tedious, and we get high pay. I'm getting exactly what I thought I would get. Why would I not be happy? And that drew them back to a point which might become more fundamental. What people want from work, what they expect to get from work, and where those expectations come from. I used to work at the Ford Motor Plant. Um, I was a junior gopher riding around on a bicycle. Uh, which was a very dangerous job, actually, as you used to have to go into the toilets to check what condition they were in. I used to sprint in and sprint back out again, let me assure you. All manner of things could befall you inside those toilets. Um, and I, I, was, um, I had to do it because at that time we had 21 unions inside that plant, and I had to stand up as the young IR guy and say, when the unions used to complain all the toilets weren't clean, often they were right, I was supposed to say, no, they're fine, sir, which is why they all wanted to do some various things the other way around. But... The problem was, and the reason why it was about toilets, people used to spend a lot of time in the toilet reading the paper. And these toilets weren't the best, actually. They're a bit disgusting, in fact. But people used to spend time sitting in them reading the paper. And the great managerial response to that was, you'll never guess. We'll put all the lights in the toilet on a timer outside the toilet door. So they'll have to come out. 
because it'll be dark. What do you think happened? Let me tell you, the sale of torches in Dagenham went up. So now we've got a situation where what, we are, what people are being paid to do, the nobility of work, is not quite as nice as sitting in a dark, smelly toilet with a newspaper and a torch. I ask you, the nobility, no. Another case, I have to be brief, another case, it's called banana time. It's called banana time from a very small study that, in, that threw, threw light onto two very amazing things at work. A guy was working there and every day in the middle of the cacophony of noise, of laughter, of all manner of things, he begins to realize that every day Sammy brought a banana to work and every day Ike stole it. And every day, Sammy used to shake, I, shake ice, Ike around trying to get this banana. And every day, he never did. And this event happened at the same time every day. And he begins to look at this and he discovers, actually, banana time was preceded by peach time, which was just followed by fish time, which itself was followed by pick-up time, and it was followed by tea time. These things occurred every hour. Routinized work produces ingenuity. The other thing it produced was the amazing thing which academics call the short-run production targets to break up the tedium, which went, goes like this. Those were the short-run production targets to get yourself through the times and the themes. Well, one day, apologies for the extension of this, Jess. One day, he decides he'll have a bit of fun. Because one of the times, one of the themes was George's daughter's marriage theme. George was the supervisor. I think he was making about five pence an hour more. The suspicion was that really wasn't why. George's daughter, with, apo with apologies, was going to marry a university lecturer. And that was a mark of some sign of nobility. It was a status jump higher for everybody around. So the researcher suggests actually he saw George coming out of the local college and actually he was a lecturer in hairdressing, ladies hairdressing. So he says to I, I, Ask George if his, if his son-in-laws actually teaches ladies hairdressing, which he did. George was not best pleased. He got grumpy. I asked him again. He got grumpier. When I asked him a third time, he basically told him in workman's type, what do they call it, locker room language? Do they not call it if you're the American president these days? Locker room talk? Um, 
in very unpleasant terms, to shut up. That wasn't the worst thing. Silence descended. Silence. No times were there. No themes of conversation were there. And they saw the return of the beast that is monotony of bad backs, of aching legs, of aching arms. That which was being completely masked by the times and the themes and the noise and the cacophony and the this time and the that time and every other time was made laid bare by the fact of, of the silence. And it took several weeks for them all to return. And they all returned except one theme. George's daughter's marriage theme made never no more appearance ever again. And so, um, work's an interesting thing. Um, I noticed Jez, and, and I'm absolutely guilty of it, talks about doing work emails in the evening. A lot of manual workers don't get emails from work in the evening. A lot of people, they just don't. I think our, our class group, our work group, our white collar group, we do. Um, but a lot of people don't. There's a clear distinction between work and non-work for still large categories of people, it seems to me. And therefore, the question of busyness, which they would say they're busy too, I think derives out of a different position to maybe you and I, who have got different, different working routines um, as to why it comes about. Um, you're right, some of them, pe people are busy because although their jobs are monotonous, they've got three of them. Uh, they're cleaners in the morning, dinner ladies at lunchtime, cleaners in the afternoon, and maybe do, or do windows in the afternoon. They've got lots of jobs, so, so they're busy. Yeah. But control, which I, I'll, maybe we can speak about in, in questions, is a fascinating issue about who controls what we do. Um, in terms of the research about this, I'll move on quicker. Uh, it's blurred. I, I saw Jezza's numbers. I saw them too. It's simply not clear. It's not that clear, believe me. If you look further, if you have time to look longer, it depends on who did the study, what country they did it in, whether they were looking at manual workers, semi-skilled workers, skilled workers, professional workers, or managerial workers. It depends if they looked at men or whether they looked at women. It depends on, on, on which country it was done in. Two things seem to be clear, which I'll just focus on for, for five minutes, is one, patterns of women's work have changed dramatically. They've, been, they've, made, they've moved from doing very little paid work vast amounts of unpaid work, but very little paid work, into a lot of paid work. And patterns of work in white-collar professional managerial classes have changed. In fact, they've gone up slightly in contrast to manual work. It's argued they've gone up. But that's not actually clear either. Um, two impacts. I want to just talk about two things with you. If you think about a heterosexual couple I say that for a particular reason, because there would be one man in it and one woman in it, and they had um, 168 hours each to spend. That means the family unit's got 336 hours in itself to spend in their week, as opposed to a homosexual couple, which might have a different, might have had a diff they had the same number of hours, but had a different history with it, or single people or retired people. But if you look at that heterosexual couple, Traditionally, one's spending it with, on their one six hours, a lot of it on work, the other, the other one on not work. As, as the woman moves into work, moves into paid work, it leaves a big gap in the non-work area. Things have got to get done. Yeah, men have stepped up, but as we see, nothing like enough. It seems to me that a lot of the, what's happened is a consequence of that. A lot of things, even that needed to get done, 
just had less people to do it. A lot of the 336 three is getting spent now on work, in, in joint work, to pay a mortgage because couples can't live. I've got children. As it happens, I've got five grandchildren as well, but they, they don't work just yet. Um, but the boys and the girls, they all work, and they can't live on, on one salary. They can't do it, so they both work. So therefore, that which is in the non-work time is getting squeezed because, because of that one shift in that one particular group, it seems to me. Secondly, there's been a shift in the perceived value of work. As work rates pay goes up, then the value of work goes up. The value of work time goes up when compared to non-work time, which causes two things to happen. One, people shift work from the non shift activity from the non-work time to the work time, and they do more of it. Or, and I think what Jez was alluding to what's happening is, if you can't do that, you're thinking, I've got to get the most out of this time then. If I'm not working, and that's, getting, that's worth more and more to me, I've got to get more value out of it, which causes people, people activity to, to grow and generate in a non-work time of all the kinds that, that Jez listed. But for me, the third group is flexible working, of which there is an increasing amount around home working. And here, again, I'm not convinced it's a bad thing. I speak to a lot of people who do flexible working. What it means they can do is they can read a report, they can write a report, they can answer their phone, they can do the washing, they can move it into the, into the ironing, they can get the kids' meals ready, and they can pick up the kids and still be working. So it seems to me that flexible working is beginning to blur the lines which we've seen between work and non-work. Um, and all of this, I'd ask you to think about, if business is in, busyness is important to people, the people who don't have it, other groups that definitely don't, other groups, societal groups that don't, and if busyness is growing for an increasing number of people, then for people who are over 65 and single, even couples who are over 65, the unemployed, young couples, people who are not busy, really don't feel busy, and can't justifiably say they're busy in a way that's acceptable, the fact that society regards busyness as important, and I certainly would agree with Jez about why people are saying it, is because it's becoming important. And therefore more people want to be busy. But there's a group of people who can't be more busy and therefore can't get that imprimatur of busyness. Finally, you say with a sigh and with thanks, um, seven hypotheses on busyness. Why are people more busy? Why do they say they're more busy? You'll say to me, you could have said this at the beginning, Paul, and sat down. Um, well, that's why I saved it to the end. Um, one, business is a badge of honour. It's the new thing. We used to keep up with the Joneses in terms of things. Now we keep up with the Joneses in terms of lived experiences. We do stuff. We do lots of stuff. We travel, we go there. What, where are you going? I'm going here, I'm going there. I've just come back from, I'm very busy. It's a mark of being a status symbol. In addition, number two, people are busy because they need a job. They need job security. They stay later to impress. They arrive earlier to impress. Certainly white collar managerial jobs are less secure, they're less measurable. 
to get on, people need to be, seem to be loyal, and being busy seems to be one of them. If you're missing out, I agree with Jez, definitely. People want to spend more time doing things to the experiences of getting them, the FOMO, is, as Jez called it. Business is a byproduct of digital age. More computers, more emails. We have them at home, we have them for fun. Social media, I haven't said much about it. Um, I think I'm not quite as guilty as some of my, certainly not as much as my grandsons. They love it, and, uh, and sounds, yeah, social media grows. People are on it more and more. Business is a way of filtering time to avoid choice. I agree, another hypothesis to why we are so busy. It's a necessity. Many people running multiple jobs, and it's a form of escapism. It's a form of not having to decide. I guess Jez and I might come together, finally, in my final thought. Um, I found myself asking about, in conversation with Jez, why is it really, as opposed to this frippery of these hypotheses, why is it really that people are busy or say they're busy? And it seems to me it's a conversation to be had about the purpose of life. Now, when I talk about the purpose of life, as Jez knows, we don't speak about the same things. Um, we have interesting conversations. And I, is it your view? I, I may be mistaken in assigning you most of your faith um, from that faith position or not. Is the purpose of life to do or to be? And it seems to me that we are hooked in the majority of terms into the belief that it's to do. The purpose of our life is to do things. And therefore, we do and do and do and do more things. And therefore, many of us look busy. <laughs>